Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I'm delighted to welcome as our guest today, Josh Allsberg of Rubinet Produce Market. Josh is one of this year's winners of the International Fresh Produce Association's Retail Produce Manager Awards Program. I'm excited to have him on the show today to talk about his store, what makes their produce offering one of a kind, and uh, just his path in the business. So Josh, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you, Ashley. It's a pleasure to be on here with you. Wonderful. Well, let's start with an easy one here. Rubinet Produce Market, how did it all get started? Well, (laughs) um, I wanted to, I've been doing produce now for, it'll be coming up on 20 years here. Um, Started at uh, one of the local, uh, at New Seasons Market here in, in Portland, Oregon, and cut my teeth there for about seven years or so. Um, after that, had the opportunity to manage and direct the produce uh, over at one of the co-ops here in town. And while I was at the co-op, we were, my wife and I were trying to figure out where we were going next. Um, we knew that our time, my time at the co-op was going to be somewhat limited. And um, just trying to figure out like, what, what do we want to see? Like, what's what's the, the future of produce here in Portland? we saw a hole in the market where there really wasn't anybody taking care of the local farms. And we wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity because I'd been working with a lot of local farms at the co-op, but you know, the co-ops are fairly limited in scope. Um, And I thought what we could do is to expand that a little bit more. And instead of working with, 12 farms throughout the year. Can we, can we support 20? Can we support 30? And so now we're here seven years later and we've got over 50 farms throughout the Pacific Northwest that we're buying directly from. So their fruit, their vegetables, nuts. Uh, we do a few uh, grocery items and it's a lot of fun because it's really, um, it becomes, it's about the farms and it's about supporting the farms and it's almost like a farmer's market throughout the week. And so we've got farms that are as large as 200 acres that we're buying directly from. And we have some as small as like a quarter acre that it's almost like somebody's backyard garden. Um, But we're bringing in a lot of really interesting varieties, both fruit and veg, things that you're not going to find at most conventional grocery stores. And, you know, it's going to be things that you see at the farmer's market. They're going to be like, wow, I've never seen that tiger stripe melon before purple napa cabbage like where did this come from so it's very colorful and we try to create this bounty of of color and variety and deliciousness uh and people have really responded in kind that's awesome so i'm curious it sounds like you have a wide and and frequently changing assortment with bringing in all those items from local and and a huge variety. How do you begin the process of managing that assortment? That's a really good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll tell you, it's, it's not always easy. Um, I do have, I have great staff. I have to say, like, I'm obviously not doing this alone. There's um, for the very small footprint that we are in, we have, nine staff people uh, not including myself who are helping to take care of the produce rotate and stock it help with customer service 
talk about the great variety that we're bringing in. I've got somebody who's doing our social marketing and social media. Um, I have an assistant buyer who will, she's doing most of the, the, the farm purchases now. Uh, our staff manager also helps with some of the farm buying. She also does most of our buying from our wholesale reps too, because we do as a full service produce market, we work with our wholesalers as well. We're very reliant on them. They're great partners. It's really wonderful to have so many partners in, 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 in this business and in this market that, uh, that, that are so knowledgeable and so passionate about what we all do. Um, but yeah, I, I can't absolutely do this alone. So it's a, it's a process. So every week the, the assistant buyer and I go through and the manager, we go through the list and see, uh, which farm is offering what, and so, uh, Hey, there's a new, there's a new variety of greens that's coming out. Hey, let's bring that in. How's the pricing on it? Is the pricing good? Great. Do we need to adjust our pricing on, on a certain thing to like, cause we really try to keep categories um, at similar pricing. So all our bunch greens are going to be one price and uh, all of our cauliflowers are going to be one price. So we try to make it easier for our front end folk, the cashiers uh, to, to know what's coming through the line. And even if they don't know what's coming through, like they can't recognize it, they can scan it and, and ring it up as, so it's not going to either get overpriced and have the customer feel like they got ripped off or to have it underpriced to where we're selling it for less than what we've paid for it. Um, I think I, I'm not sure if I actually answered the question correctly, but so I'm go, sort of going off on a tangent there. No, um, no but, that, that makes sense. Yeah. It's, um, but it, it's, it's a, it's a labor of love. It's a lot of fun to go and, and just work with all the farms and see what they're going to be growing at a particular time. And we do a lot of planning, of course, in the off season too. Like we, we chat with uh, certain farms like, you know, Hey, we're looking for cucamelons this year, you know, or is that something that you're still planning on growing? Um, hey, do you, are you still planning on growing uh, tiger stripe tomatoes? We get these beautiful little oblong tiger tomatoes that, that tomato season's over now, but we've been having them pretty consistently throughout the season. Um, so, so specialty things like that. And then we also have a few growers that are just strictly commodity growers um, you know, so we can count on certain farms for our kale and our chard and broccoli uh, when it's available. I would say primarily um, m- most of the farms that we're working with are certified organic. We do have a few farms that are so small that it becomes financially challenging for them to certify. Mm-hmm. Um, but we go through and find out what kind of inputs they're using, what kind of uh, soil treatment methods they've got going on. Uh, working with them to make sure that we understand what their farming practices are. Um, and we get a, a I send out a, a, a survey uh, to all the farms just to find out some of these things as well. And so even the farms that we don't, that aren't certified, we work with anyway, and we call them sustainable farms because we can't call them organic. <laughs> um, but they're some of our favorite farms too. And I know that, like you said, you've been in the industry for quite a while. How 
how did you over time develop those supplier relationships and, and continue to find more of those local growers in, in recent years? Um, you know, I would say it's an organic <laughs> type of uh, um, process. So w- when I was at New Seasons, um, the the produce buyer there, Jeff Fairchild, who is extremely well known throughout the, the region here, um, he was the one who really started the process of working with a lot of local farms. Um, so in receiving product at New Seasons, when I was working the wet rack or working the tables, um, I would see different farms come in and get to see what, what, what the quality of their product looked like. And it was, it was easy to make an opinion. It's like, oh, this stuff is fantastic or this stuff is not so great. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that those sort of things stick with me. And especially when you were actually working the displays on the floor. And then when I moved over to the co-op, I had the opportunity to do buying on my, on my own. So I had taken um, some of the farms that, that new seasons had been working with and brought them on board with me over to the co-op. The co-op already had some of their own farms that I wasn't even aware of that they were, that they were working with. And through all this time also, like I love going to the farmer's market. I'm a farmer's market junkie. Um, <laughs> it's funny because my wife tells me like, cause anytime we go anywhere, like on vacation, we'll go to the farmer's market, wherever we went to San Diego uh, back during spring break. And what was the, one of the first things that we did? Go check out the farmer's market. <laughs> um, so that was something that I've always been wanting to do here in in Portland. And we have a very thriving, bustling network of farmer's markets. Um, on any given Saturday, one can go to about six throughout the Portland metro area. They have some on Sunday and throughout the days of the week as well. So I would go and check out the the, the farmer's markets too and start to get to know some of the people there. And if I had the opportunity to meet the farmers, um, that was always a bonus. And and so getting to know some of the farmers that way and then taking that methodology here to Rubinette Produce as well uh, to, to expand that. And then I've had other farms just get in touch with me on their own because they find out what we're doing. I've gone to a few of the uh, the CSA fairs that they have. CSA, I'm sure you all know, you know Community Supported Agriculture. So a lot of the farms that we're working with directly, they either sell at the farmer's market, they sell direct to restaurants, or they have a thriving CSA program for to, to meet their, their financial goals. And so what we do is sort of, we, we act as a, an aggregator for, for a lot of those farms. You know, hey, I've got some extra something or other. You know, I've got, I've got extra tomatoes, heirloom tomatoes this week. Would you guys be interested? Sure, let's see what you got. Bring them in, um, and that's another opportunity to, to work with farms that we may not have had the opportunity to work with as well. So it's an ever evolving process, and you know, some farms we've I've been working with for twenty years. Some farms are brand new. We've had some farms that uh, were were part of our our fold that we may not be working with as much either because, unfortunately, a lot of the the farmers now have started to retire. Um, and so agriculture in Oregon is, is becoming a little fragile. So we're trying to find new farms to work with, but the retiring farms, um, if they don't have a succession plan, sometimes they just stop farming. Um, and so we, we've lost a few of those. Um, and then, you know, just 
someone's like, Hey, we're, we're self-sufficient. We, we love what you've helped us to create. Uh, but we're going to continue just working through, you know, our CSA plan. And I'm curious too, with, with sort of the, the variability and the, the opportunity to take it, bring in some of these things that, you know, they, they can't carry at the, you know, the, the local supermarket or whatever, because it's like, oh, we have to have it for this long. We have to have right. it in this quantity, all those sorts mm-hmm. of things. What, what kind of parameters do you put on? Okay. We need X amount to make, you know, to make this make sense for us or, or we need it for this long for it to make sense to us. I imagine there's some parameters around that, but how do you approach that? Cause you have such a unique model. It's interesting because we have such a small space. Um, we're only in about 500 square feet oh, wow. of space. Yeah. So it's, it's compact. Um, <laughs> so the, our sets, because I've got, we have really great folks to work on, on the sets. We're constantly rethinking how we merchandise. So okay. we're, you know, with the, like when I was, at, at new seasons they had very specific setups like mm-hmm. the broccoli would go here and here's the greens wall so you put up your chard and your kale and it looks beautiful um we have the flexibility to be able to to flex essentially so like let's say we get i've got a farm that just delivered um uh, a 48 count of sprouting cauliflower also called fioretto wasn't planning on bringing that in i didn't know they had it but they're like hey we've got it would you like some sure let's we'll make room for it um so we're able to to adjust the set so maybe we shrink down on the radishes at the moment uh or you know compact the parsley a little bit more you know if we if we're looking at fruit you know we're all of a sudden we're in apples and apples and apples uh where do we make room for that okay well we you know we find a, a basket that we can put over here we you know move some tables around here let's create this whole apple display like right here. And we'll just have a few baskets. Meanwhile, the plums, and the peaches are shrinking down so we can take off from some of there. So it's an ever evolving set, but to answer your question more specifically, um, we, we generally look and see what our sales have been, especially in the commodity products. Like, so, you know, what kind of heirloom tomatoes are we going to need for the week? Um, so, you know, just like every other good produce department, we're just, we're following our data and our trends and and keeping in line with that it's sometimes a little bit more challenging especially on the shoulders of the season because you're either ramping into the season or the season's about to fall off the cliff like with tomatoes local tomatoes right now um so our tomato set is looking a, a little bit thinner than it had been two weeks ago it's been raining here um but here in a moment we're going to flip that set so the tomatoes are going to be where the apples were and the apples are going to be where the tomatoes were. So hopefully it's a little bit more seamless than that. Um, but usually what we're doing just so we're not overbuying is we're coordinating our purchases um, between the, so the, the farm orders are always the most crucial for us uh, because people have come to rely on us for that farm direct local product mm-hmm. Um and so with the, uh, with the, with the wholesale suppliers, we generally use them to get the product. We, you know, we're not growing local bananas and avocados. So like, or citrus, you know, so that's a big driver for us to work with them there. 
Um, and as we get further into the winter season, we'll rely on them as well. But there's a lot of coordination between the farm buyer and uh, the manager who's putting in the wholesale orders just to make sure that we're not over over ordering. Um, but our volume is a lot lower in particular than most of the the conventional grocery stores and trying really as much as we can to go truck to shelf so we don't sit on a ton of backstock. Um, and then with product that we lose, uh, we have a, a gleaner program. It's a pretty robust gleaner program here in Portland. Um, so we just call them up and they take most of what we can't sell. As long as it's not moldy and still edible, they're happy to take it. Um, we've got a couple of other, uh, restaurant partners that we work with. Um, so like as we're getting into apple season right now, um, we'll take our apple culls, we'll, we'll hold on to them, store them in a, in a corner of the cooler. And then the bakery right down the street, they're like, yeah, we want your, your apples. So we hold on to these heirloom variety apples and, and, you know, we don't get me wrong. We love Fuji, Braber and Granny Smith's as much as anybody but um when the when, when bakeries get the opportunity to work with unique varieties like ashmead's kernel and the rubinette apple that you know we're, we've named ourselves after uh crimson crisp and and uh bell de Bas scoop like these are are very hard to find apples and they really accentuate flavor in so many ways for uh, a lot of bakers and they're just thrilled to be able to to bring these other apples in. That is cool. So something else I was wondering, again, stemming from the the variety of items you all carry, how do you make sure that your team members are familiar with all these different items? What makes them unique? What people can do with them? How do you approach that? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, so we really encourage our staff to taste everything, especially like, you know, right now for apple season, it's really easy. You know, it's like grab your produce knife, cut it open, see what it tastes like. Um, and, and then share it with the customer and help them understand what to use it for. So right, I just put together an apple primer that has all the information about all the apples that we're going to be bringing in, what they're best used for. Is it a eating apple? Is it a cider apple? Is it good for applesauce or, or, you know, is it, is it the kind that doesn't brown you can put on a salad? Um, is it, is it good for baking? Um, because a lot of people, a lot of our customers want to know that. And I should also point out, we have kind of a unique situation in our store. So we're, we're a, a, a full service produce store, produce department in a larger and yet still small European style grocery store here in Portland. So the name of our market is Rubinette Produce. The name of the bigger market is called Provador Fine Foods. Um, okay. And again, it's it's a European style grocery store. So people are coming from all corners of the city and the state. We get people from all over the country that hear about us. We wow. actually had like some folks that came in from Japan a few years back to do a feature on us for one of their magazines um, because yeah, they heard that they were, that we were doing some really unique stuff and we get, you know, folks from Europe and, and so forth. So um, we get people coming in to, to do a lot of their special occasion shopping. Um, in addition to a lot of folks just coming in to do some regular grocery shopping, like we're, we're not, 
we're not like a safe way. Like we don't have cat litter and paper towels and a lot of that stuff. So it's really just food. Yeah. And people celebrate food here. Um, I forgot where we were going with that. (laughs) (laughs) um, Employees telling the story of the different items. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) Um, So, oh, the the thing I was going to mention is, so we get a lot of uh, chefs here and we also do, we have a small wholesale program as well to help the chefs out. It was something that we developed when we first opened and really have um, taken that to another level since COVID. So it's, you know, it not only is it folks from out of town, but it's, it's restaurateurs, chefs, food bloggers, food writers, food photographers, caterers. Um, and so these folks all want to, they want to know what to do with the products that we bring in. A lot of them already do know. Um, so we, our, our social media presence also helps people understand what to do with, with these particular items. Um, our, our social media team uh, continuously is doing R&D on like, hey, all these squashes, let's see what this squash tastes like versus this squash. You know, what's the difference if you're using green cabbage versus Napa cabbage? Um, and we also, so it's not just the, the social media R&D, but we encourage our staff like, oh yeah, if there's something that you see that you want to check out, Take it home. What do you do with purple kohlrabi? I don't know. Like, go, go, go find out, go get a recipe and, and, and find out and then tell me what you did with it and then talk to the customers about it too. Um, so there is a lot of that learning through osmosis and learning through, um, through the research of, of working with that product as well. But yeah, it's, it's a lot, there's a lot going on and I, I'll, I will admit that, we probably we have some staff who probably know the name of the thing and can identify it on the shelf and maybe that's about it there's a few things that we bring in here that are pretty obscure and they're only around for like a week or two and then they're gone wow. um so yeah and that and that's a lot of fun too we have these cute little um they're called bikino peppers it's a little it almost looks like a teardrop i wish i would have had one in here with me but they're they're only about that big and they're super tasty and lemony, but we only have them for like a hot second and they're gone. Wow. Now, how do you approach from a marketing standpoint, kind of letting people know when stuff is coming in or is it just that kind of treasure hunt surprise when people come in and they're like, Ooh, this wasn't here last week. How does that work? It's mostly a treasure hunt surprise. Like we, yeah. When we, we like to say there's a surprise around every corner. Um, Again, you know, it, we go back to so social media certainly helps, um, but it doesn't encapsulate everything. So we do really rely on a lot of word of mouth. Um, and again, the chefs are coming in to uh, to shop off the shelf. They'll see something unique, like, whoa, like I've never seen this before. What can I do with this? And then they take a bunch with them. And if they put it on their menu, a lot of times they will give accolades, hopefully to the farm that we got it from. And if we get a little love out of that too, that's always great. Um, But yeah, I would say, I would say there's a lot of products that don't necessarily get their just desserts for marketing as much as they probably should. And I think that's what makes us so unique Mm -hmm. is that we have all these things that, like you're just going to 
have to come in and check out what we have this week. Yeah. How many SKUs would you say pass through the store in the in a given year? <laughs> um, a lot. <laughs> there's there's a few hundred. <laughs> um, yeah, our uh, I, I I've on, on my computer every once in a while there'll be a plume of smoke from our point of sale system being like alert alert <laughs> overheating. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's too funny. Well, and I was thinking as you were mentioning some of these different things, what are your favorite, maybe five to 10 is is too many, but your favorite items that like nobody knows about, and maybe like that pepper you mentioned, they're around just for a minute and then they're gone again, but that people don't yeah. know about that you're like, this is the best thing ever. We get, I, I mean, I could talk about 101 products that, I absolutely love like that. Um, my absolute most favorite thing are the local Oregon strawberries. Oh. And not a lot of the stores around here carry them. There's there's a few select that do. Or if they do, they only carry them when they're available from the wholesalers. But like I actually go out and seek about five, six, maybe eight different strawberry growers. And I'm just like, Hey, what do you have this week? What do you have this week? Let's bring them in. Cause some of them are pretty small. Yeah. Um, and especially at the beginning of the season, like in April, when the farmer's markets have them, nobody else has them, but we're going to try to bring them in. And then all the way till like, I've got right, right now, I mean, we're still getting local strawberries and nobody else has them. We've got a, a, a guy who is a bee farmer uh, down in uh, like, about a hundred miles from here. Um, but he's also growing some fruit, including strawberries. So he's got them under tunnel and he's bringing them up here. Um, and so we've been getting them like pretty consistently throughout the entirety of the season. Um, but certain things like Jimmy Nardello peppers that you really are hard to find those. We've got these cute little, uh, mouse melons also called gherkins or cucumelons that we get. Um, the uh um the other mel there's there's two melons that i really appreciate here in the northwest uh one of them is the charente melon and for for those of you who aren't familiar with that it's like a it's a french bread cantaloupe which is super musky and super juicy and it's like just got this incredible aroma you can literally smell it from 15 feet away when the ripe ones come in and you can just, as soon as we put them out, you can see people like, what's that smell? And they start like, it's, it's almost like flies to honey. They will, they will verge on the, converge on, on, on the display. And then they're gone. Yeah. Um, and then we get these really cute, they don't have a, a, a very robust flavor, but the variety of melon is called Rich Sweetness 132, I believe. It was bred in the Soviet union back in like the seventies or eighties. And it's this cute little striped melon. We call them tiger melons. Cause no one's going to buy a rich sweetness one thirty two, but you call it something <laughs> a tiger striped melon. And they're like, I mean, it's the kind of thing like people look at it. They're like, it's like eye candy. It's the most beautiful thing they've ever seen. It's like this beautiful orange and yellow striping. Um, and, and people just like, and, and they're about, this big 
and people, you know, you can put them in your pocket. You can fill a little bowl with them and put them on the table when you're entertaining. And people are like, cool, what's that thing? And then the, the, whoever bought them is like, well, this is actually a tiger stripe melon. And aren't they pretty here? Let's cut it <laughs> open and taste it. Um, so those are a few of my favorite. <laughs> these are a few of my favorite things. Um, <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, I could, I could probably go on forever. Um, I do, I do really like, uh, Napa cabbage, make a nice Asian slaw. Um, we get this, uh, it's a, a, a leafy green called spigarello, which is like a cousin of broccoli and kale. It's almost, it's almost like if they had, a, had a kid, it's, it's sweet, like broccoli leaf and it's big, like lacinato kale, the dinosaur kale. Um, and it's just, it's a really nice tender brassica green that I'm trying to get people to get excited about. And it's it, a lot of, a lot of the restaurants really like it. So it's a lot of fun. That's very neat. And what are the items that you all have sort of developed a reputation for that maybe you're around a little bit longer enough that each year people are like, is it time for these yet? Is it time for these yet? Sure. I would, I would say the local strawberries for sure. Our, our tomato variety, uh, when it comes out in July, we have probably, I don't know, 15 different types of tomatoes. And when I say types, like I'm not even talking about all the different heirloom varieties that we bring in. Cause that's a different category. We probably cycle through about 20 to 25 different heirloom varieties that the farms bring to us. Everything from brandy wines to something called, um pink boar and then there's like a pink berkeley tie-dye and a lot of these are they're not really heirloom heritage tomatoes these were tomatoes that were developed in california but are uh marketed as like heirloom type tomatoes um but we get like these cute little um they're called currant tomatoes they're almost also called champagne bubbles and they're cherry tomatoes that are like like that big they're almost oh. like mar- mar- less than marble size. Wow. They're adorable. Um, tiger tomatoes, which are um, they're they're a variety of cherry tomato that we bring in. Uh, we get black tomatoes like the indigo blue, indigo fire. Um, so and oh, the other the other one that we get. Um, so we get San Marzano uh, cooking tomatoes, but there was a farm out of wine country here in Oregon. Um, they were vegetable farmers and frequent travelers to Italy. And um, a lot of the farms here have started understanding that because we're at the 45th parallel right here in, in the Portland area. So if you go to the 45th parallel in some of the European countries, you'll be able to find varieties of, of vegetables that grow just as well here as they would grow there. So all of a sudden, we're seeing a lot of radicchio varieties uh, coming up thanks to the Culinary Breeding Network, which is a it's a uh, it's a, a program developed by a couple of professors at Oregon State University oh. to try to promote winter farming. Um, but this farm found a variety of tomato in Asti, and they brought back the seed, and they they were seed breeding their own tomatoes over the course of about twenty five years. Uh, and they called it the Ostiana tomato. And it's like this perfect roasting tomato. It's 
It looks like a beefsteak that's got really nice shoulders. There's green on the shoulders. And um, you can use it for fresh, fresh eating purposes. But they found that it's a great roasting tomato and a great canning tomato. So every year before this farm retired, we would have a contingency of about four dozen customers calling us up to say, hey, can we get a box? Can we get two boxes, six boxes of these Ostiana tomatoes? Wow. Um, that was definitely something people were, were excited about. Sort of on a day-to-day basis, um, we, we bring in a uh, salad mix from, from the local farms too. And the salad mix changes seasonally. So it'll be a lot more of the spring, delicate spring greens in, in spring, heavy, you know, more durable lettuces in the summertime. And as we get into the fall and winter, suddenly now we've got a lot of farms that are uh, farming chicories. So the radicchios and all the different, there's like 10, 12 different radicchio varieties that farms are growing, winter growing here in the Northwest. And so they cut those up or um, you know, make those available for a salad mix and we sell that. Um, and then some braising mix as well. But that's probably our mainstay is the salad mix. And it's pretty obvious, Josh, you enjoy talking produce. And you mentioned before we, we hopped on and hit recording, <laughs> you do a TV segment on produce there in Portland. And I, I have to know the story of how did you start that? Because that sounds like a heck of a lot of fun. Well, so my, my wife is also part of the, the store, not, not so much on a daily basis, but she comes from food and wine PR. And when we were first, yeah, when, when we were first opening up, she wanted to try to promote us and give us some opportunities. So um, she got in touch with one of the morning show producers at the uh, at the local ABC affiliate. They're literally right across the street from us. Um, and they they talk to each other. And, and next thing my wife's like, uh, you've got a TV gig in a week. I'm like, what? I'm like, okay. And the other thing too is I, I used to work in, in radio. So I, I was an on-air talent, I guess, more of a DJ than anything else. But that was like a lifetime ago. Um, so I have I have the face for radio is what I've been told. Um, but apparently they think I'm uh, an, a, okay enough to put on TV. <laughs> anyway, so... We, we've been doing we've been doing this gig now for uh, for the better part of six years, I think. Wow. Um, and we do it. We it's it's usually monthly and it's really wonderful. Uh, Helen is the uh, the host on uh, the local show called AM Northwest here at K2. Um, and we just I bring a whole bunch of produce. Usually it's seasonal. So we just did one on Monday. And talked about the seasonal switch from, you know, pear, peaches are done. Now it's time for apples and um, melon are done. It's time for pears. The tomatoes are done. Hey, look at all these incredible uh, wild mushrooms that we're bringing in. These wild forests, we're getting chanterelles and porcini mushrooms fresh from the forest floor. Um, you know, and it's the kind of thing because, you know, folks here in Portland, we love to eat. We love to eat out. We love to cook at home. So it's, you know, what what information can I help eaters here in Portland know what's what they're going to find at the farmer's market um, or, you know, at specialty stores like ours? Very neat. Well, and 
kind of continuing along along those lines of community involvement, I had read about um, you. You do a lot of work with schools in the area as well. Tell me a little bit mm -hmm. about what that looks like. It's a lot of fun. Um, a number of years ago, so I'm sure, just like in a lot of the country, there are food deserts here in in Portland. Not as much anymore, but there used to be. Um, and it was always something that struck a nerve with me that kids, not a lot of kids were able to have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And I wanted to start something that gave kids more of an opportunity, not just to have them, but to be, um, to have an involvement in understanding them a little bit more. Um, and so I, I went to one of the local schools. This is while I was at the co-op, actually. Um, I went to one of the schools down the street and I said, you know, hey, would you be guys be interested in, because it's apple season, in us coming with a few apples and doing a side-by-side -side tasting for, for the students? And nobody had ever, like, heard of this before or thought of it. They're like, sure. Like, yeah, <laughs> go ahead and. Go ahead and bring it in. And and none of us really knew what that was going to end up looking like. Um, but we we brought in six apples to sample out side by side. And then one by one, the the students in their classes came in. So we gave a little spiel at the beginning and said, you know, hey, we were interested in finding out what you think about these apples. We want you to pick out your favorite. And then we would like we we hung a big post-it note at the back of the um, at, at the back of the cafeteria, wherever we were doing the, the tasting at um, and kids could vote on their favorite. So, you know, at the time we was like, you know, Honeycrisp and Fuji and Brayburn and, and, you know, but a lot of the kids, you know, they get a red delicious apple in their for their meal and nothing against the red delicious apple, but there's better apples out there. Correct. And it was really, it was really, it was a way to, to get kids engaged in understanding that there is, there's more out there to be had than just something that was sort of plain and lacking flavor and lacking texture. And that was the other thing too, is we wanted kids to say, you know, think about the flavor here. Is this something, is it, is it sweet? Is it tart? Is this apple crunchy? Is it soft? Like, we want you to use your your senses to form an opinion about this thing that we're we're putting in front of you. And the kids just went nuts. They loved it. And uh, and and the school was like, you know, can we do this again sometime? They're like, do you have more? And I'm like, well, we could, we could do something, but I'm like, it might be just easier if we like have an apple tasting at the store. And so from there we did an apple tasting at the store. They helped promote the apple tasting. And next thing you know, we've got a flood of kids coming from the school to like, we want to taste more apples. Oh. And it was such a, it was such a fun project that we expanded it to include citrus in the winter time. So we did the same thing. And then we, we went to a few other schools in the neighborhood 
And so we expanded the amount of schools and the amount of, of, of activity that we were doing. So we did the same thing with citrus. So it's like, here, you can taste a navel orange and a Valencia and a blood orange and these three different kinds of tangerines. Uh, and, and it was more than just like, oh, you get a, a ratty old orange from the cafeteria. And just to be able to demonstrate like, wow, there is so much more to fruit mm -hmm. than, than just what you see in front of you or what's available, you know, at, at school. Um, and so it was something that, that in opening Rubinette, I'm like, I want to do that here too. So we, we expanded that to, to what we're doing here. So we're on a different side of, of Portland um there are there are more kids that especially now um are dealing with food insecurity so it's a lot of fun to go to some of these schools where they're just like and a lot of kids don't even speak english but they speak food and and they it gives them agency also to be able to make decisions and to say i like this thing oh i don't like that thing it's a lot of fun to to see the smile on kids' faces when they when they have the ability to to not only try something new but to to really be able to to have an opinion and to be able to say, "Hey, mom, I tried this thing at school that I've never tried before, and it was a lot of fun." And even if they don't get a chance to experience that again, they got to experience it that one time. Mm -hmm. But hopefully they get the opportunity to experience it more than that. I mean, because we really, my my goal is in that is to try to get as much fresh fruit to the to kids as possible, so we don't have to deal with things like diabetes and obesity, and you know these are real problems that plague our society and. All of the, all of the non-fresh food that's available at grocery stores, like that's not that's not helping us become real, real good decision makers in this world. Yeah. Um, you know, we 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 like when people eat fresh fruit and vegetables. So wherever we can be a bridge to that, that's something that that I aspire to do. Very neat. Well, and I remember. Josh reading the the description of the great apple taste test in the uh, the blurb that IFPA did when it talked about you you know being one of their their retail produce manager award winners this year and what I thought was the coolest thing ever was not only did you guys go in and do this with the kids but the other teachers like other subjects kind of spooled off of that and they would do like graphs based on mm -hmm. well 12 of the 28 kids said that Honeycrisp was their favorite or whatever and talk about percentages and different things and I thought oh my gosh that I my mind just explodes with the possibility <laughs> it's it, that is one of the, the the more fun things about that too yeah just le letting the teachers take that information and like you said they can graph it you know make the pie graphs and 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 work on other math skills with regard to that um yeah so we're filling a couple of different needs when we're when we're doing that for sure 
I just, I tell you what, Josh, I could all day just start to map to all the other subjects, right? When you talk about science, <laughs> you talk about history and all the different places and like, you could just have a produce-based curriculum and it should be incorporated in everything. Wouldn't that be great? And it would, you know, the other thing too, is we, we try to support a lot of the, um, there's some, a lot of organizations here in the Portland area that are working with. Uh, classrooms and other camps to uh, to bring kids out to farms and to have them understand where their food comes from. Um, there's a, a great organization called the Savi Island Center. Um, they're, it's probably about 10 miles out of town on an island called Savi Island, where a lot of our farms uh, are, are working right now. Um, and they've got a little uh, a little pest area, a little garden area. And so every week during the summertime, they bring camps out. And then during the year, they'll bring classrooms out and they'll introduce kids to, to farming. Um, and the camps run a week long. So like they'll get an opportunity if it's early in the season to, to sow the seeds and to water them and to understand like what that process about. And then as we go further into the season, you know, watching the plants you know, checking on them and, you know, weeding, what do we do about, about pests? And, you know, this is an all organic uh, um, organization, so they're not using any kind of pesticide. Cause you also got kids around them. I should keep the kids safe. And then as we get closer to the end of the summer, you know, they're harvesting, Hey, you get to pick this tomato. And, and it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely program. There's, there's all sorts of these around the state. Um, and we try to support them as well because, you know, wherever we can give kids a leg up to eat and understand where their food comes from, that's something that we want to do. Super. Well, Josh, I've already kept you well past the time that we had on the calendar. So I'll, I'll wrap up with just these last couple ones. Sure. How did you find out that you were being honored by IFPA with the award this year? Um, my One of the, the reps... One of my sales reps at, at uh, Pacific Coast Fruit Company, his name is Phil. Funny enough, the, the interruption that just happened on our podcast here was him. He just calling in <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm in the middle of a podcast. Anyway, so he he nominated me. I didn't think I was going to get it, but um, yeah, he calls me up out of the blues at some point. I think that was back in March or April. He's like, uh, hey, you want to go to Anaheim? I'm like, uh, okay, great. Um yeah, Phil and I have worked together for a few years now. Um, he's a fantastic guy. I really like what he's doing uh, over at, uh, at Pacific Coast. Uh, they're great people over there. They're one of our fantastic partners, and we really rely on them uh, heavily to, uh, to, to, to bring us the things that we need that we're not getting from the farms. What did it mean to you to get recognized in that way? You know, produce has been such a passion for me for for these 20 years plus. Um, and to to see the work that we've created here and, you know, uh, like I. I'm, I feel honored 100 percent that that I got this award, but it's not just me like this is this is my team. And this is the farmers that I work with. And I feel like they all should be getting this award because like, I'm just, I'm kind of the, the, the hub of the wheel, like everything flows through what I do. 
but without anybody else, like I wouldn't be able to do this. And, and so it's, it's the food community here in Portland and throughout, throughout, uh, the, the Oregon, uh, the Portland area here in Oregon, um, you know, the, the, the restaurant tours and they're the one they're going and working with the farmers. And I feel like, you know, us trying to help with those connections from the, from fork to, you know, from farm to fork, um, you know, these, these are such important connections for us to make because agriconomy here in Oregon is so, is so vibrant and it always needs help because we're losing so much farmland to development and we're losing a lot of farms to retirement. And so what, what, what can we do really to keep farming vegetable farming in Oregon thriving? And it's just something that, that has always been my goal in, in, in having Rubinette produce of, uh, here. And it's, it's just nice to, it's nice that all of us have been recognized for the, the work that we're putting into it. Excellent. Well, I'm happy to get to hear hear the story that that you all have been working on and share it just a little bit wider. And hopefully that helps. Wonderful. Ashley, <laughs> thank you so much. It's a pleasure talking with you and uh, and, and, you know, talking with with, with your folks there. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing everybody down in Anaheim in October. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Josh. We'll thank our listeners as well. I've always been telling folks, if you are learning from or otherwise enjoying the podcast, please feel free to rate and review. That helps us keep it rolling and and keeps us bringing in wonderful folks like Josh um, to learn from her so knowledgeable about the business. So thank you again, Josh. Thank you to our listeners. And we'll see everyone next week on the Produce Retail Podcast.